Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to the July episode of Business and Property Development. This month, I have the honour of sharing with you a really enlightening conversation I had with Brad Chan. Brad is the CEO of Banner Property Group, a company which he founded to take the reins of his family's substantial commercial and retail investment portfolio that had been grown and passed down through three generations. In this episode, you'll hear stories around a couple of key themes. The first is a fascinating story about building and refining a company that owns and manages a core portfolio of five shopping centres. The second are stories revolving around a remarkable journey of development and discovery in business, leadership and personal growth. I feel particularly lucky to have had this conversation with Brad and it's a privilege to be able to now share it with you. I won't spoil the episode by telling you any more, so without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Brad Chan. Brad, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being with me today. Thanks for having me, Harry. I like what you're doing with the podcast. So to get the ball rolling, if we can start by telling me where you were born and where you grew up. It was Martyr Hospital in Sydney. I think what was supposed to be a a joyous occasion for my parents probably turned out with a little bit of disappointment. I was the fourth son of parents that desperately wanted a girl. Uh, There's a joke in the family that my dad didn't carry me for two weeks after (laughs) I was born. He loves me now, though, so it's all right. (laughs) And where did did you go to school? Primary school was in Linfield, a school called Holy Family. It was a Catholic school situated above a church. And then high school from years 7 to 12 was at St. Joseph's College in Hunters Hill. What did you study post-schooling? So after my HSC, I I didn't get the marks for my first choice, which was to be a physio. So I ended up studying land economics at UTS, which is a a property degree. It sounds like a farming degree. From there, I, I did a f- did further studies. I've done a postgrad in finance, and I've done a couple of masters on, on top of that. So. I probably didn't mind studying so much. Did you always want to do sort of physio and then just decided maybe to drop that and do something else? I think at the age, you know, when you're 17 and you're in year 12, you don't really know what you want to do. I think I liked sport and so I think physio was the closest occupation I could think of related to sport. I wasn't going to be a professional sports person. And so I guess in hindsight, not getting the marks to get into physio and I was pretty admittedly lazy at school. In hindsight, I think what I'm doing now better suits my my strengths and what I can offer. Now, you're a third generation property investor. So tell me about your family's history in, in property investing. Where does it all begin? I run a third generation family business, commercial properties, mostly small shopping centers, founded by my grandfather. He was a property investor when he moved to Australia. During his life, he spent most of the time in Papua New Guinea and he owned cocoa plantations in PNG. And when around the time PNG got independence, the, the family decided to move to Australia permanently, even though they came to school here and decided to sell those plantations and invest in property here. And so I think that's sort of when 
property investments started. I'm not sure if there was a specific strategy on what kind of properties to invest in, but he was pretty successful in, in buying and selling and, and became quite well known and it's someone that could pick things in the right right place. And uh, what kinds of properties were? My grandfather, I think it was probably a mixed bag. He, he had things in the CBD like commercial buildings to you know, a residential apartment block. He probably wasn't specific about what he wanted to buy. There were some things in Chinatown, so he, he liked that area. He had a particular eye for locations where he saw growth, particularly with Asian influences. Mm. So before he passed away, he purchased some things in, in Eastwood, in, in Chinatown, parts of Burwood. You know, they seem to be locations. And Cabramatta was another one. Mm. So locations that probably experiencing a lot of growth and immigration. Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily uh, a particular asset class that he was chasing. It was more just where he, it was like the more traditional uh, sort of property investment you find stuff that you think will grow in, over time and you create wealth through capital growth through those locations. That's right, yeah. yeah. I think capital growth was was a big driver and it tended to be more commercial property than residential property. He was sort of known to have the Midas touch, I guess. So in terms of where shopping centres come into it, how did that come into the, the fold? My grandfather passed away was 1997, so quite some time ago. And so he left behind a portfolio of properties. Some of them were shopping centres. There were quite a lot of single strip shops in suburban locations. There were a mixture of pubs. So it was, it was quite a variety of different assets. I guess we've since scaled that back to predominantly shopping centres. You know, we have some some buildings in the Chinatown area, which we've had for a long time. You know, we also have some residential houses that adjoin our shopping centres and, and they're considered as land banks for the future, for future growth. With the establishment of Banner Property Group, this is like a, a family business created to manage the assets of, of the family. So was there a, a particular circumstance or event that happened that necessitated the creation of this company? And uh, so how did it come about? There wasn't really a succession plan in place. So it sort of went from the first generation. And when my grandfather passed away, the second generation probably kept the business pretty passive. Everything was managed externally by a local suburban real estate agency. And 10 or so years uh, after my grandfather passed away, there wasn't a lot of change in the assets. And so I'd obviously uh, worked in different property companies. At the time, I just started a new business with two, two guys my age. It was a property development consulting business. And obviously, we were hungry. We were looking for opportunities. And I saw an opportunity with my family just to consult on a particular project. They were looking at the redevelopment of one of their shopping centres in Eastwood. And when I started to take a closer look, it, I started to get pretty worried about what they might be embarking on because it was it was, it was was a plan that was not feasible. It didn't make sense and it would never been costed. And so one of the first things I did was get a QS on board just to cost it. And then we, as, I, as I ran through the feasibilities, it, it just didn't stack up. And so it probably showed me that someone needed to come in and take a more active role looking after the family's assets rather than relying on an external suburban real estate agent to, to be driving that. Actually, that's a, that's a pretty pertinent point because a management agency is not exactly going to be doing the feasibility on facilities upgrades or asset management in that regard. So, 
the agency was uh, managing our properties in a pretty passive way. And, I, you know, the second generation were, were okay with that. But there was a lot of lost opportunity at that time. And I think, you know, when I sort of took over and, and set things up, we were probably in a position where the family's wealth was more asset rich and cash poor. So we had, you know, a, a lot of assets, aging older assets that needed capital investment. At the same time, you know, everything was, there was debt across these assets, everything was cross collateralized, personal guarantees from the main directors. So it was a little bit of a mess, I would say, and took some time to unwind and de-risk. How did you approach getting the family to be okay with you coming on board and I guess looking after the entire thing how did that come about? I learned some lessons along the way and here I was a reasonably young guy who had worked say 15 years in property companies I had a few university degrees under my belt plus I was a family member I thought it was a no-brainer that they would want me to to come and look after their their assets and so I think I learned the hard way when one of the first things I did was get some proposals from some other specialist retail property managers to, to manage the assets. And I went through the process and I remember the meeting, I sat them down in, in the living room at my dad's house and I said, you know, here are three proposals. This is my recommendation. I think we could do better through a different manager. And they just laughed at me and said, oh, yeah, no thanks. I, you know, is this a joke sort of thing? And so that was a pretty tough lesson and I, I, I guess I realized that I, needed, I still needed to prove myself. I needed to earn my stripes and it probably took me two years to convince them to let me set up a company to start managing some of our assets. So I had to sort of be a bit more strategic with that approach and earn their trust and then start off small and eventually you know, I was able to take over the portfolio. Yeah. So in that two-year period, what were some of the things that you were that you were doing that were you know starting to prove a point? It, it was probably just giving them exposure to the way, the kind of thinking and, and the kind of approach that I took to decision making and property. Maybe they thought, you know, young guy is going to expose us to a lot of risk mm. or and, and things we're not comfortable with. But you know, they started just get some comfort through their exposure to me. You know, we'd have regular meetings, and I think you know they could soon see that I knew what I was talking about and I had the right experience and I had the right intentions for the family as well. In terms of the pressure associated with taking on a, a portfolio as, as large as this, what were some of the things that were running through your head? Was there ever any doubt about the ability to do it or was it, you know, was it something that was too big to handle or what was going through your head when you were embarking on making that decision? I think I was a little bit worried because up to that point, my career had I guess I'd, I'd had a lot of variety in my career. I'd had a lot of different jobs in different companies and I liked the flexibility. You know, often I would I would move jobs when I'd stopped learning or where I felt a bit stale. Mm-hmm. And so the fear was if I joined the family business, it would probably be the last company I would work for. That was a little bit of a concern, but I think once, once I started, any sort of pressure that I had was probably put on myself you know the family have been really good they never really put pressure on in terms of you know I needed to generate certain returns fortunately then you know, they my, my father and my uncles probably focused more on capital preservation than wanting to be the biggest and best around and so I, I think that relieved me a little bit in terms of how I approached running a business and taking a long-term view about 
how, how we grew the business. So there's never an implicit requirement to grow it. It's being strategic about not losing it. I think growing the business is still my mandate, but I think in a long-term sustainable way. And so yep. that probably allowed me to understand the risk profile of the family. And this risk profile might change as we move to the next generation and, and there's a greater appetite to engage in, mm. you know, higher risk activities to generate a higher return. But, you know, the family's always been sort of a, a long-term counter-cyclical player. And I'm a big believer in property cycle. And so you can make a lot more money through timing than just trying to follow the herd and feeling like you're, you're missing out on something. Just before we carry on, I noticed you'd mentioned you'd had quite a few years in other property companies, and I feel like we've kind of glossed over that part. Do you mind if we take a, yeah, a step back and sure. just understand where some of that experience kind mm. of came from? So first company after my undergraduate degree was a company called DTZ, and they were a commercial agency in the city, uh, no longer in Sydney, but they exist around the world. And I had a role as a as a commercial property manager. I was looking after commercial office buildings in the city and also industrial buildings in areas like Roseberry and Waterloo. And to me, that was a really good grounding. I had two managers, very senior managers who treated me really well and just gave me a lot of the great foundations I think you need to start off in this role. Uh, not only just in the technical aspects of property, but things like how to communicate and how to make good decisions when you're looking at all the different options. I remember, I'm probably showing my age now, but uh, my first job, I didn't even have a computer so oh, okay. or a yeah. mobile phone. Yeah. And so uh, my job did involve writing a lot of letters. And so what I did have was a dictaphone. And so yeah. I'd have these little cassette tapes and each day, you know, I'd be basically speaking in this dictaphone and then giving it to my receptionist. But looking back, I think that really gave me a really good basis to write letters and, and now emails. And I, I find, you know, it just comes naturally to me to write a very concise, uh, a well-structured communicative document and you know I had to rely on the landline so picking up the phone and and speaking in a concise way and getting certain outcomes I think was a really good grounding for me a, a good grounding for anyone I think is you know, really important skills to have do you find that technology has made that fall by the wayside and it becomes a it's not as doesn't come as naturally for sure I mean I've got a 13 year old son and sometimes I text message him and he says well why do you bother spelling out the words properly <laughs> hopefully he, he he learns how to spell properly when, in the real world <laughs> and so where did you go after dt dtz uh, so at the time i was doing a postgrad in mm. finance i decided to quit my job after i finished that postgrad i was probably a bit uncertain about where in property i wanted to go next and I, it was it was a difficult job i, I was managing a conversion of a, a strata office building 84 Pitt Street and I had a difficult client who would just call me every day. Mm -hmm. I'd have tenants that were experiencing this, this refurbishment of the building, complaining about noise. It was a good grounding, but I think it was a lot of stress at the time as mm -hmm. well. I decided to quit and, and go to the UK, go travel and get my, do my working holiday, which I would say, you know, were one of the best decisions I've made. It really, and it was, it was backpacking solo through Europe sort of during the cooler months, based myself in London, found some work, took the opportunity to travel some more, you know, and I think I learned a lot about myself. It gave me a lot of confidence knowing I could go to any country and learn how to fend for myself, learn how to make friends in hostels or along the way. And this was before, you know, mobile phones, 
made traveling easy. You know, I had two guidebooks and I'd rip pages out of the guidebook after every city just to make my backpack lighter yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. How long were you overseas for? Uh, a couple of years. A couple yeah. of years, okay. Yeah, yeah the yeah. intention was mostly to travel but like I said, you know, I based myself in London a little bit during winter. It's not as appealing to travel. Mm. And I did some contract work from in sort of both sort of property and finance companies. And then came back here and was that the, the start of the consulting? Came back, still didn't know whether I wanted to stay in property. I found a job in an IT company that was had a product for the property industry. Uh, it was a property management system. And, and then I moved to another IT company again that sold a property product. So back then I learned how to code. So I became, I thought, mate, I'm going to try how to be a programmer. And I, and I did some courses and I learned how to code. I actually enjoyed it, but I realized all the programmers around me, they could do things twice as fast as me. And as much as I enjoyed it, I realized I'm never going to be as good as them at it. Again, it's a skill that I learned that's sort of helped me. I mean, I learned how to pro- program in a a language called uh, Visual Basic, which yeah. Excel used. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when I moved to the next company, I, I think later on I moved to EY mm. in, in the consulting division and I could do stuff that others couldn't involve manipulating you know, Excel spreadsheets mm. and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so you're going behind the, the front face of Excel yeah, be able to program that way. So I'd say my career, you know, moves sideways often. Mm. But again, in hindsight, you know, I picked up a lot of different skills along the way that's really benefited me later on. And uh, after EY, are you you edging closer to? So after EY, realise dealing with bureaucracy and in a big company like that didn't suit me. I liked the variety of EY because I worked on some really interesting projects and I, and I realised I think I, I got bored if I, I guess, kept at something too long, the same thing. And so consultancy sort of appealed to me, but not in a large organisation like EY. And so I left that and I had two friends that had just set up this development management consulting business and they had asked me to join. I joined. Uh, we were working in uh, in Bonner Junction in a in a storeroom that you know one of the guys' dad had an office. And I mean, they were great times. We were just three young guys full of ideas. I remember every lunchtime, we'd go to lunch together every day and we'd come back from lunch and we'd play, play PlayStation for about 30 minutes and there was this uh, hockey game that we'd play and we'd be so competitive, like whoever lost would be in a bad mood for the rest of the day. But, you know, it was, it was fun times, it was interesting yeah. times. We pitched to a lot of different people, probably went four or five months without getting paid. The first paycheck that came in, we all went to the local surf store and bought surfboard wetsuits. So rather than bank it, and I wasn't even a surfer, the other two were, you know, I guess when you're a bit younger, you make sort of rash decisions like that. But I wouldn't wouldn't change it. They were great experiences. So some pretty solid foundations for how you get into the establishment of Banner Property Group. In terms of your exposure to running a business and knowing what to do, so you you know you've got your experience in how to manage a development or how to understand if the feasibility stacks up. But in terms of running a, a business, mm. what did you know about how to administer a basically a business? Probably not much at all, and it's it's a bit like becoming a father for the first time. You can't really prepare for it. You just you you'll learn along the way. I think what probably helped me was I I'm someone that loves learning and I and I read all the time and I'm listening to information and I think I was able to pick up a lot of stuff 
quickly from mentors or from just maybe an acute understanding of perhaps what needed to be done in the business and just piecing it together? Yeah, yeah. A, bit of, a bit of everything. Mm. You know, I remember the, one of the first things I did do when I set the, the company up was uh, I realised I needed help. And so I reached out to my network and I said, I need a mentor. Can you recommend anyone to me? Fortunately, one of my friends uh, was working in a property finance firm called Ash Morgan Winthrop. He said, my ch- the, the chair of this company is great. I mean, let me have a chat to him. And so had an initial meeting with, it was a guy called Michael Moss. He said, yeah, ha- happy to, to mentor you. And so that probably lasted a few years. He was just a really good sounding board. He was careful in the kind of advice he gave me. He gave me a different perspective. Mm. It certainly benefited me. In terms of what you thought was perhaps lacking in in your knowledge and, and why you needed a mentor, what was that? What did you think you needed help with? I think about everything. I mean, mm. I remember talking to Michael and we would discuss obviously property decisions, but also even, even family because he was very family orientated. And so just making sure that the mentoring wasn't just about one aspect of my life. It mm. was broader than that. And so it gave me some good perspective about what is important. You know, my life isn't just about my work. Yeah, so it enabled you to be a bit more well-rounded. Yeah, in that, in that I, I, th- yeah, I think so. So in terms of some of the other challenges that you faced with the establishment of Banner Property Group, what were some of the some of the more challenging things that you'd had to overcome? Other than what you said, you know, knowing nothing about mm. setting up a business and being a CEO from day one. Uh, I think the other challenge was when we inherited or took over the portfolio of properties, what was handed over was pretty much nothing. So there was a fire the week before the handover. Instead of getting a whole history of files and, and so forth, we got nothing. And yeah. so it took us some time to really understand what's the history with these tenancies, with these retailers. And I mean, that that was difficult. I think the other challenge I would say is just my own knowledge and understanding. I was in the deep end. It took me some time to even recognise the impact that my own leadership had on the business and its growth. In terms of who you had um, working with you at that point in time, did you have so it was yourself, the CEO? You oh. had a, you have got a mentor to the yeah. to the side, but who, who yeah. else is involved so at this my, point? My first employee, uh, a guy called Vince, he was my, he was a development manager, so he came on to help me get DA approval for the, the Eastwood Shopping Centre, which is a which was a difficult and large process uh, dealing with councillors that didn't want it, um, mm. and this was a day where councillors were still making the key decisions on development applications. Yeah, so he was the first one. He stayed with me for 10 years. And then I I gradually built the property management team. So property managers and then leasing and finance and, you know, project managers and uh, marketing team and things like that. So, you know, it was sort of organic. So, yeah, you just bring people on as you understand you need them for that that phase of the the business's growth. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were to fast forward to today what are we looking at in terms of what's happened in a bit over 10 years i guess where we're at today you know i think we've also probably disposed of a lot of small single strip suburban shops we took advantage of the last property cycle to to sell down again another aging asset and so i guess coming into covid we're in a position we were we've got no debt 
pretty good amount sitting in the bank. And so, you know, going through COVID, it was probably a, a good position to be yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. Probably got a different problem now where cash sitting in a bank is earning nothing. And, so, you know, I've had to look at, well, how do we make sure that we're still generating returns until the market shifts so that we can start buying more assets again. Yeah, what are you what are you looking at at the moment? Is it are you looking at just opportunities or Yeah, it, it's probably more sort of semi-liquid investments into fixed interest or other non-property opportunities, yeah. but we've had to I guess spend more time looking at that aspect. Historically, the family's been most of its wealth's been in in property, but now mm. it's it's probably more diversified, more balanced. There'll be a shift where we do start to buy more property. This is the end of the first part of the episode. Coming up will be the second and final part where we discuss Brad's insights into leadership, business culture, and personal development. We also delve into how he has positioned himself within the business to enable him to devote his time and energy to giving back to people and his community. This part is a real eye-opener, so I'll see you soon.